come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And good morning. Welcome to Let, Let Your, Your Voice, Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR. The no v- role models, the voice of Harlem. What? Uh. You said no role models. That's right. Why oh, you say that? So I was watching a J. Cole concert on HBO last night and it was really good. So I'm really into J. Cole right Is now. that was that the name of the concert? No, no, that's the name of the song that I was just playing. No role models. Okay. Thank you for that connection. Uh welcome back, guys. Happy Sunday. Morning. To- Morning. Glad everyone is here. Everyone meaning Stanley, Alyssa, and Uh, myself. My name is Selena Hill. And on Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at Miss Selena Hill. And I spell that with an MS. Why? And and I spell it with an MS because I don't think that my marital status is important enough. What is your marital status? To to let the world know. What is your marital status? (laughs) This joke. That Um, joke is like five years old now. I burned those. I burned my dragons. No, Stanley, we liked it. We liked making fun of you in your dragons. I wore the black one to go to go to the gym Uh yesterday, and I was like, "Mm, "Boy, your calves is looking tight and them." Did somebody really say that to you? Yes, and I went home changed. I was like, "I'm tired." Told you. I'm telling you, those jeggings really showed off your calves. Was it your 125th stalker? Stanley? No, it was actually on 156 and Broadway. Oh, Stanley's got a new stalker on 156. <laughs> if you don't want to be harassed, then don't wear the clothing, Stanley. Ooh, yeah, right? Exactly. Is and that you know what, what we tell? Is that what street harassers tell people and women? I am tired of being victim blamed. <laughs> I am tired of it. We are all tired. And by we, I mean women. Okay, guys. So we have a great show. I introduced myself. You Stanley did? didn't introduce himself. He just talked about his jeggings. So since Selena Hill's a hater, 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 I will introduce myself. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful man, and he had a son who was immaculate in every way, and that son's name was Stanley Fritz. And he made a Twitter account called Stan Fritz. And he also had an Instagram and Snapchat account called Dark Skin Swindle. And he was also the engineer of the PC ones and twos, and everything was well. Oh, wow. What an introduction. <laughs> Way to follow that up. Yeah, you right? immaculate. I was like, is he a Jesus? What, who are you he today? Can't. Okay. Base God. I don't know. Okay, well, Alyssa. Uh, <laughs> Back uh, to reality. Uh, yeah. Um, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm your legal correspondent. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I and on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs also with an I. Or you can comment on our fan page, Politically Preposterous, uh, which is uh, sound is spelled exactly how it's sounds or... That's uh that's pretty much it. So Um, can I just say real quick, shout out to the people who listened to our podcast last week or during throughout the week. When I checked the um news roundup link for SoundCloud, it had over fifty views in less than a day. So that's pretty awesome. That's so progress for us. It went it went <laughs> viral on politically preposterous based on our conversation about the Bundy occupation that we're gonna talk about right. in just a few minutes. Sweet. Right. So we have we're gonna designate a whole segment to talk about the Bundy occupation. So or stay. as Stanley likes to call it. The white terrorists. No, vanilla ISIS. White ISIS. And Yalqaeda. Stanley, well, um, Stanley is definitely a part of the Twitter community, and a lot of people have been calling these white militiamen these names and just saying, you know, this is a form of domestic terrorism. So we're actually going to delve into the history a bit and just talk about if this were an armed, pro- if these were black armed protesters or Islamic armed protesters, what type of reaction would the feds have? What they type of reaction? Them, like the bomb them and, and media, right? So No, no, like they did in Philadelphia. They literally bombed an entire building. Right. And we're going to talk about just the difference and how this is, in my opinion, white privilege at its finest. Basically, if you didn't believe that it existed, I mean, we can just look at how these um, white militiamen are being treated compared to 
black and brown people throughout the course of history who have protested or or gathered and even today's time. So we're going to talk about that. And then later on in the show, we're going to talk about probably Stanley's like one of his most favorite, if not his most favorite issue, environmental racism. Yes, but not just any kind of environmental racism, just straight up nonsense. I went to Michigan for my uh, one of my best friend's law school graduations back in 2013. And I remember every time I drank the water, it made my stomach hurt. <laughs> no, seriously. Seriously, to the point that even like the Mich- like the Michigan local bottled water would make me sick. So I started getting Poland Spring, and that's all I did. And I said, there's something wrong with this water. And now we found out that I was right. But what part of Michigan were you in? I was in Flint. You were in Flint? Yes. Wow, Stanley. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, so um, that's odd because that happened in 2013. And in 2014 is when um, officials in Flint decided to start tapping into the Flint River. I thought it was just from the natural gas, but... Flint has always had water problems. I won't talk about it now, but I thought it was because of their natural gas fluids. That was because they frack a lot over there in Michigan. Oh, they do a lot of hydrofracking because of um, Rick Snyder, right? Governor, Rick, Governor Snyder. Rick Snyder. So we have a lot to talk about, and we have a Detroit-based activist who will be calling in to talk about the, the the man-made fiasco going on in Flint, Michigan, right now. And again, this community is majority black, and they are poverty-stricken. Forty uh, percent of the community live below the poverty line. So there's a lot to talk about, and we see this over and over again. It's just honestly reflective of the larger issue at hand when it comes to environmental racism across the country. And then late, last but not least, uh, Alyssa will be giving us a quickie slash rant on Obama's executive action on gun safety, a.k.a. she'll be telling you why he does not want to confiscate your guns. Okay, I mean, he said it over and over. It's a conspiracy theory, but I still had people arguing with me on Twitter trying to convince me or persuade me that this is just a plan. Like Obama is putting these measures in action so that he can eventually confiscate guns from uh, legal gun owners and responsible gun owners. And I'm just like, it's preposterous. So Alyssa is definitely going to break it down. And talk to us about that. Yeah, I'm going to tell you uh, kind of about what the executive orders are, what they do, what they don't do, and, um, you know, kind of what to expect going forward. And hopefully that can convince at least one or two more people. And and I also I wanted to mention that we have a very special friend of our show, Kawanza Billy, who will be calling in to talk about cervical cancer and HPV awareness uh, towards the middle of the show. So she's been um, very active on the ground when it comes to this issue, especially and, and how it affects women. Remember when she used to come to the show and just sit in the corner and not say anything? <laughs> you make it, you make it sound like she was on punishment. And just tweet quietly. <laughs> you make it sound like she was I'm, like forced to do that or like punished. Stanley. I miss those days. Kwanzaa, what happened to you? Oh, uh, yeah. You're too big Kwanzaa. to tweet for us. Basically. <laughs> Kwanzaa is way too big to tweet for us now. So we look forward to that. And again, guys, if you want to let your voice be heard, you can call us up at 212 650 and you can tweet us at Be Heard underscore radio. Stop. Uh, no one can understand you. Radio. Uh, be, be Heard underscore. Okay, so Stanley makes creepy voices. What he was saying was Be Heard underscore radio. And you can also leave your comments at Politically Preposterous. That's the Facebook group dot com. All right, guys, we're going to go on a quick break. But when we come back, we're talking about that Bundy occupation. Word. Way, way, way up. Turn, 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 turn. turn it all up. Yeah. Look, I got enemies, got a lot of enemies, got a lot of people. Uh, my name again is Selena Ho. Stop it. Okay. What's your name? Oh, my name? Yes. You said to stop it, Selena. <laughs> my name is Stanley Fritz. 
All right. All right, guys. And we're back. And as I mentioned before we went on break, we're going to start the show off talking about the Bundy occupation, a.k.a. the white terrorist militia group, as a lot of people have been calling them. Later on in the show, we'll talk about the Flint water fiasco. And then we'll end off talking about Obama's executive actions on gun safety. So what's been going on in Oregon? Um, So this man, his name is Amon Bundy. He has been leading an armed group of white militiamen known as, well, they named themselves the Citizens for Constitutional Freedom. If what happened, Stanley? Well, nothing. I was coughing. <laughs> well, no one can hear you. So if you're gonna mumble in the mic, you might as well be heard. I think Alyssa said something about the Ku Klux Klan. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Stanley calls them. Sometimes he he references them as the KKK, right? So if that name Bundy sounds familiar, it's because back in 2014, Amon Bundy's father, Cliven Bundy, also led an armed standoff with the federal government. And he notoriously suggested that African-Americans were better off as slaves, right? So back when he led this armed um, protest um, in Nevada and he faced off with, I mean, you saw these federal agents putting guns in these in these people's faces and they were still like, back down, shut up. You can't you can't tell us what to do. And I was just like, no one got shot. They didn't let off any fire and they didn't open fire. And um Pretty much the government backed down and let Clive and Bundy um, continue to use federally owned land without. And he owes like, I think, a million, uh, a over million dollars, over a million dollars in fees for for using this federally owned land. I mean, yeah, they said they were going to fight him in court instead of I this, can't. trying to have this armed revolution that they wanted. Oh, my God. OMG. And you know what? I don't like ISIS. Clive and Bundy. Good point. Clive Vanilla and Bundy. ISIS? <laughs> That's why they call him the Vanilla ISIS. Mm-hmm. Clive and Bundy, um, he had so much support from Republicans and conservatives uh, up until he started calling like black people Negroes and saying that, you know, we were better off as slaves. But I mean, they were just like, yes, fight the government, use your arms, Second Amendment. And I'm just like, if any other group of protesters, especially those of color, were to do that, mm-hmm. conservatives would be up in arms themselves. And it just wouldn't happen. Um, so moving along on January 2nd, this is when his son, Amin Bundy seized the uh, uh, National Wildfire Refuge. This is a federally owned wildlife outpost in a remote remote part of Oregon. So the group, they took the building over um, and um, with a, a bunch of local ranchers. And they said they were doing this for two reasons. Right. One was because they believe that. Um, federal, they believe that the government should back down off of their own land, which they say is hurting local ranchers like themselves. And then the second reason was because they were protesting two men, Dwight Hammond and his son, Stephen Hammond, who were convicted of setting fires that spread to government land. Like these people have a lot of problem with the government and their land. And also like they got like a minor involved in setting the fires too, like a 14 year old kid. That was the other piece of it. I mean, it was crazy because, um, hold on, I have it right here. So so what happened? The father, he set a fire in 2001 that burned on a federally maintained land. And then the son was convicted for setting another fire in 2006, which he said um, was a backburn to prevent wildfire from spreading to his property. None- nonetheless, they were convicted and they served a year in prison. However, because of the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act that Congress passed, um, in 1996, um, that act actually mandated a minimum five-year sentence for the crime. Um, so that means they had to be sent back to prison to serve out the rest of their sentence. So they are serving another four years. Apparently, 
the Bundys and his group of militia don't agree. So they're, according to them, they have the Second Amendment rights to use their arms to take over a federal-owned building, federal-owned land, and to protest. I don't know how they think they'll win. I don't. I mean, there's absolutely no way that uh, federal authorities are going to let these two men out of prison. So, I mean, it's just crazy. And they also said, these militia, that they're willing to kill and be killed for for this purpose, right? For to to get these men out of prison and to tell the federal government back off our land. I mean, which it, isn't even their land, right? No, no, you're you're absolutely right, and it's just been um, completely ridiculous. And I think that um, we have been all watching this play out, especially if you're on social media about you know how day after day they're holding these press conferences and they're getting all of this media and i feel like the way that even being covered is just very subdued um i don't want to you know cut into interruption but i remember during occupy we had nothing but a whole bunch of smelly hippies at the park i was one of them and they put out a sound machine the it's ones called that, an LRAD. Yeah, which you're supposed to be using in freaking Iraq. They put it out there at Zakati Park to get out a whole bunch of hippies. And you remember after they um, cleared Zakati, we had one of the occupiers calling to the show, and he talked about how the cops were killing puppies to get them out of the park. No, I didn't hear about that. No, no, yeah. this is before your time, Melissa. This uh, is me, Selena. We did a show a couple like when we were back at the Westbury. But then you have a whole bunch of crazy nuts with guns, and people are like, hey, let's just let them stay there. Well, it's kind of like the comment that I made last week about how when you want to protest the government and can hold people accountable for police actions, then everybody's like, oh, you know, these protesters are causing X, Y, and Z, and people make up these ridiculous things like the Ferguson effect, uh, which is, you know, like false and, you know, a whole bunch of other things. And like when people want to protest income inequality by going and you know sitting in a park that's apparently a problem you have to get like 3,000 police officers in military gear with an LRAD machine to clear them out uh, but apparently you know when you have a situation like this the government's like oh well we don't want to have another Ruby Ridge we don't want to have another Waco like we don't want to have another situation because right. that's just going to add fuel to the fire <laughs> pun intended right um, that you know if we shoot it out with these guys then we basically uh give in to them in that all these other anti-government people are going to be like, oh, look, see, the government is being tyrannical and shooting at these people. And so, you know, that's exactly what we're saying the government's going to do. And so the government kind of doesn't want that. But um, I did want to tell you a little bit about kind of who owns this land and how it got that way. Just give you some background and some history about this because it's actually really interesting. Um, so there's actually been two Supreme Court rulings about this refuge, which is called the Maller 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 Lake and Maller Wildlife Refuge. One of them comes in 1902 and the other one in 1935. And essentially what the Supreme Court finds is that the federal government has an incontrovertible claim to the refuge that dates back to the 1840s when Oregon was still a territory. Uh, so... Going even further back, the Paiute um, Native Americans or the Paiute Indians uh, lived in the Mallor Lake area for over 6,000 years. Um, They lived there before any settlers ever came and actually before any federal government ever came. So actually, if anybody wanted to lay claim to the land, you know, and actually make a legitimate claim to the land, it would probably be the Native Americans. You want to cut in right there? You're forgetting about one citizen, Jesus Christ. Yeah. (laughs) That has nothing to do with anything. The Book of Mormon actually says he's from there. Sorry. Uh, Oh, oh, okay, okay. uh, 
Um, the first time settlers ever came to this area, Mallor, was in the 1870s. Uh, this was due to the Homestead Act. The Homestead Act allowed anyone who wanted to go west to move west and to claim up to 160 acres of land as long as nobody else had claimed it. And the idea was that the west wasn't settled at the time and the federal government wanted to promote people to head west and to lay claim to land. So um, this guy named Peter French, he settled, he built a cattle empire, um, but their other settlers started to come out and there became a dispute between this guy Peter French and between the settlers. Um, so in 1902, Peter French actually sued one of the settlers in order to get this settler off the land and the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that his claim was invalid uh, because the federal government never gave him claim to the land. The reason was that the Homestead Act only um, applied to certain lands that laid above the water level, and they found that based on where the land actually was, that because it wasn't, um, you know, above the water level, it was within the water level, that it was the federal government's land. So following that, six years later in 1908, uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, decided that he was going to declare all 82,000 acres that Peter French was holding as a naf- national wildlife refuge. Now, that doesn't make up the whole acreage of the refuge today because another person actually transferred some land uh, to make, you know, to the federal government later on. But um, actually, before that happened, uh, there was another case that went up to the Supreme Court in 1935, where the Supreme Court ruled that Oregon never acquired title to the land, that the government never transferred it. Um, what happened in that case was the federal government had sued Oregon uh, in order to kind of get a decision about um, who owns this Maudler Refuge. And at the time, under the acts of Congress, ownership of any navigable waterways meant that it went to the state. So they had to determine was the Maller Refuge a navigable area with navigable waterways and all these people came to court and testified and what they essentially ruled was that because no boats had ever used the waters of the refuge for any commercial purpose or any other purpose that the waters were not navigable and therefore under the acts of Congress they did not belong to the territory of Oregon and so if they didn't belong to Oregon and they didn't belong to French and they didn't belong to any of the other settlers the only people or the only entity that the land could belong to is the federal government. Government. And therefore, the federal government owned all 82,000 acres. As I said later on, the person who owned the land next to these 82,000 acres actually sold their land to the federal government. And that's how you get the full refuge that as it exists today. So that's right. your little history lesson about who owns the land and how it got that way. Right. Thank you for that, Alyssa, guys. And again, uh, we're talking about the Bundy armed occupation going on in Oregon now. If you guys want to let your voice be heard, the number is 212-650-6903. Thank you for that. So um, one of the things that I, I guess has been most controversial is um, the hypocrisy of the protest. Right. When we think about how they are protesting the federal government, the fact that they own this land. And there was even one protester who said, I'm going to stand on this land. There's even a warrant out for him, right? <laughs> and he was like, I'm going to, he did this interview and he was like, I'm going to stand on this land and and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And if the FBI wants to try to arrest me, I'm not going to jail and I have my rifle right here. And I'm just like on national TV, he just suggested basically like uh, almost threatened the federal government with arms. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because, you know, if it turns out that they're actually committing a federal crime, um, you know, and, and I'm, I know there's been a, some talk of that, uh, that, you know, whether or not they're actually breaking any federal law. Yeah. Um, with having their guns or whatever. But if they actually were to get arrested for a federal crime and get convicted of it, then they would actually lose their Second Amendment right to bear arms as a convicted felon. 
So in some ways, maybe this guy is thinking, and I don't, I'm not speaking for him. I think it's kind of lunatic, actually. But maybe he's thinking, like, rather than have the government label me as a felon because I've done this takeover, I'm going to, you know, I'm willing to die for that because I don't want to, you know, I'd rather die than go to jail and right. lose my right to bear arms. Yeah. Which, like, okay, fine. Then why are you out there in the first place <laughs> committing a criminal act? Especially, I and, you know, I know we're going to get into talking about race more later on in this segment, but it, like, it bothers me because these are the same people that were, like, on the internet going, but Mike Brown stole the cigars. So, of course, <laughs> that means that he deserved to get shot because he was a criminal, you know? So it's like, well, but you're a criminal too, right? What I, what I don't understand is I've, like, I've seen cops raid someone's apartment because of an unpaid um, train like train ticket, I've seen cops kick down someone's door and drag them out of their apartment, and they come back a couple of days later and were like, "I didn't pay my train ticket, and that's what happened." And you're telling me they couldn't arrest these guys the first time when they had over a million dollars in debt over like ranch land they were using. Right, and, we, and you know, some people have said I don't know the you know the kind of whether this really stands up or not, but some people have said, well, it's like there's a sort of this difference when you're talking about the federal government versus yeah. like state or local governments. So when you're dealing with issues like you bring up about somebody owing a ticket or this, that's like very local government. It's yeah. the local police department, you know, etc. Whereas when there's a standoff between the federal government mm-hmm. and people, it's like the federal government wants to be more cautious because what they found in situations like Waco and situations like Ruby Ridge is when the federal government actually did come in and people died because of the federal government deciding to disrupt these actions, um, then it actually fueled more of this anti-government sentiment. Yeah. And, and and to add to that, people have also said, I'm not saying I agree with this, that, well, you know, it's not like they're going there shooting up, killing innocent people, like, for example, to compare it to San Bernardino, that mm-hmm. if, like, they walked into this refuge and started, like, firing on employees and killing innocent civilians and stuff, then the federal government would be able to say, yeah, we have a reason to step in now because, you know, you're firing and a mass shooting is, uh, you know, an active shooting situation in progress, whereas that's different and distinct from the fact that they're just standing there with guns. So if me and 15 of my gun-owning black friends went and decided to hold the state building hostage until they freed my man Pookie um, (laughs) for committing seven murders in 1998... And just did that. You're telling me that I could, ex- I should expect no kind of force. Uh, no. I mean, it, it it definitely wouldn't play out like that. I mean, we've I seen this play out like even that. in even in Ferguson, the cops like pulled up to the scene in military gear, right, with these big tanks. I mean, it was just horrible. And I I, I and I think that you know when they did that, that also fueled this sort of us versus them sort of mentality. And to me, that's justified, but they didn't get that type of leverage on Ferguson and Baltimore. Or and, and I think that, you know, the way history continues to play out, we, we know that yeah. if Stanley and other black men were to do something like that, it would just, I mean, I, I would be scared for your life, to tell you the uh, truth, Listen, Stanley. I agree. Like I said, I'm, I, I don't, uh, I'm just making right. the arguments that some that I'm hearing, some yeah. of the people are saying, putting them out there so that we can digest them and basically call a spade a spade right Right. um because i think you're right um you know but then uh, just to play devil's advocate to counter that Mm -hmm. the uh, the idea about i mean yeah they're protesting over their friends going to jail but also this lay of claim to land right so you have to add that into your hypothetical stanley right you and your friends can't just be protesting pookie (laughs) you got to be protesting um the fact that you think you own this land also and make sure that you're you know a legal and registered gun owner like jackie said last week on that segment from the daily show just don't just don't 
Right. I'm going to get a gun tomorrow, get registered for it real quick. I don't have any priors or anything. I should be good, right? Yeah. You you probably could, but then we'll see how that would well, play you out. Well, that's an interesting question that we can pose later on in the segment when we get into talking about race, which is, you know, if you have no convictions and you're not mentally unstable and you're able to get a firearm and you're a person of color, should you do it? And should you open carry to protest something in an open carry state? No, that that's a great way to end um, for this break. We're going to come on a break and then we'll talk about that right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. I like to read those good books. Throwback Sunday, I guess. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. We play Missy Elliott twice in one break. And I'm going to hit you with some new stuff in a second. But after this segment about people who got guns and government buildings and don't get in trouble. Right. And (laughs) we would all say and agree it's because they're white. So we're back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we're talking about the Bundy armed occupation or what a lot of people on Twitter have been calling vanilla ISIS. Y'all, Kata, and just and basically the the rise and a revolution of these white men with guns who seem to be able to get away with doing things that no one else in society could. So um, where we left off, we kept asking the question: What if they were black, right? And even what if they were Muslims? What what would happen? And I wanted to to take some time to talk about what actually did happen back in 1967. So there were Black Panthers who occupied the California State Capitol building back in uh, 1967 to stand up for their Second Amendment rights. They literally stormed into the building, because it was legal back then, to go in there with their guns in hand. And the way lawmakers reacted was they banned open carry gun laws in that state. And to this day, you can, until this day, there are no open carry gun laws. So, and I also want to mention that, that was Ronald Reagan, un, right under Ronald Reagan's administration. And I wanted to add that the NRA, who in today's time protests any type of restriction that would make it safer for us to just live here in America, they were actually in support of um, of they were actually in support of putting some type of regulation and putting some type of restrictions on guns, right? So a couple, you know, fast forward a couple decades and to today's time and the NRA is completely against it. But again, what happens when black people are armed and sort of show, you know, are feel empowered or even intimidating to a certain degree to, to, to white supremacy or white power. And this is what we have. Um, I understand we have a guest on the line. We have a very special caller. Her name is Miss Deborah who we love, and she would like to let her voice be heard. How are you, Selena? I'm good. Oh, good. Listen, how how is everyone? We're my rudeness. as well to be expected. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go buy some guns and protest. Okay, I just want to get something clear. They don't own they don't own this land, right? Oh, no, they don't. Okay. The federal so, government owns it. Let's say, for instance, I was going up the river and I happened to see a really nice mansion that I liked, that I always wanted. And I decided that, you know, there was no one in at the time. Maybe, you know, somebody was away. And I decided that I wanted to open that house and live there for a spell. And they showed up. They came back home from whatever trip they were taking. And I decided that I wanted to stay there. And I had arms and everything, and I felt like it was my right. They had not been there in a while. So what happened to me? 
Well, so it's an interesting question because there's a slight difference in that the wildlife refuge is federal national public property in that it's technically, in theory, open to the public for use and for enjoyment. Um, And so it's not trespassing, in theory, for people to go to the wildlife refuge, whereas if you go to somebody's personal house um, that's a private property, then that one would be trespassing. I mean, but so, I mean, that's really the difference in the example. Um, But I think that the point that you're trying to make is sort of the point that we're trying to get at, which is, you know, if anybody else went and took over some land that was wasn't theirs, some property that wasn't theirs, held it, occupied it with guns, um, the police would probably show up and there would either be a standoff, these people would be removed, arrested, um, or if they started to shoot, potentially would be killed by law enforcement. But we don't see that happening. And we're asking the question why. And we're surmising that it's because these people are white. Right. So so the, the next question I have, and I know Stanley has a very strong opinion on this. Should we be characterizing this takeover as terrorism? Are these domestic terrorists? Well, yeah, why not? They call Black Lives Matter protesters terrorists. They pepper spray Black Lives Matter protesters all the time. When I was when I was marching after the Eric Garner verdict, I had a cop say, "Go ahead, keep having fun. I'm gonna bash your head in, you effing terrorist." Yes, he called you a terrorist yes. at a protest. Yes. Like, I, well, I mean, you have it goes further than that because you've actually had the NYPD, and this is a local example, set up the uh, what they're calling, I guess, their SRG or their Strategic Response Group, yeah. and they say that it's part of their mission is to deal with terrorism, but the other part of their mission is to deal with protesters. I'm on social media surveillance. By no, seriously. All of a sudden, well, I could be exaggerating, but all of a sudden, I'm being followed by six different cops from six different precincts on Twitter. So and, and anytime I start talking about Black, Black Lives Matter, they, they favorite the tweets. Wow. Well, you, you know what? You know, just to add on with another another example, it was just a few years ago where there was this huge controversy about how the NYPD were surveilling Muslim well, Muslim students as well as Muslim mosques in New Jersey and in New York City. And it was like we were treating these regular citizens as terrorists themselves as they went to work, as they went to worship and as they went to school. They're still doing it. And they're still doing it. The controversy has died down, but it's still happening. But here you have, again, armed white men who have taken over a building who said, hey, we could, we'll, we'll kill and we'll be killed. And it's like, well, let's back down and hope that this can end peacefully. I don't get it. You know, if a genie came to me and said you had one wish, I would say bring me back as an attractive white man with slightly <laughs> jostled hair. My <laughs> life would be perfect. No, no, it, it's true. It, it really is true. And I mean, you, you can't, it's it's evident right now. Right. No, and I, I think this is the biggest and most salient point about this whole thing, which is that, you know, people can say, oh, it's not about race. It's not about race. It's not about race. But uh, it is about race because I, I don't see a scenario in which uh, m- people who are Muslim engage in the same exact type of action and the federal government backs down. And I don't see a similar scenario where a group of armed black militiamen take over a government building like Stanley put out earlier as an example and the government backs down. But actually, another point that I wanted to make about that is that also sort of goes back to the government backing down the first time. When yeah. Selena gave the introduction, she talked about Clive and Bundy and the original thing. And there's a lot to be said about that because the fact that the government let them get away with it essentially the first time, uh, you know, is to say that they were like, okay, well, we got away with it once. Nobody's coming after us, so we'll probably get away with it again. But to go back to the race issue for a second, uh, you know, 
I'm I'm curious if Stanley, maybe you want to jump in on this opinion. It was something we talked about on the phone that when we spoke on Thursday night, and I said, um, and I was asking you, so I'll pose this question: Do you think that? It would be a good idea for Black Lives Matter protesters who had the ability to get a firearm that legally to get firearms and to do these protests with firearms in states where it's legal to carry. They would be slaughtered in in, um, St. Louis when during the height of the Mike Brown protest. I I met some of the protesters there, including um, DeRay and and that was telling me they were in a church strategizing on the stoop and the cops drove by and shot at them with rubber bullets. When they ran in the house, the cops broke into the church and said, we thought you guys were a mass weapons they were in there praying mm. if they even smelled gunpowder on those protesters they'd be dead and the cops would say we thought our lives were in danger yep. it's, radi- it's it's ridiculous how dangerous it is to say black lives matter in places where open carry is the law right no stanley's absolutely right i mean it's it, it's it's sad and it's also very sickening the fact that we have this huge double standard in this country. Again, it's 2016 and we've made so much progress, but we still haven't, right? Yeah, no. And actually, to add to that, apparently the sheriff in this county in Oregon is now saying, well, if you guys leave, we'll give you like sort of a free pass, you know, like leave within a certain like the next few hours or the next whatever it is and no charges will be filed against you. Could you imagine that scenario happening if uh, there was a bunch of black people that were like engaging in some type of illegal action, right? Um, and the sheriff showed up and said, oh, well, we'll give you guys like 12 hours. And if you guys are out of here in 12 hours, then like nobody's going to get arrested. Selena's shaking that her head in the is, studio. She's going, there's no way that, that would ever happen. Com- not- no, no, you're absolutely right, uh, Alyssa. That's completely ridiculous. The fact that you have law enforcement almost pleading with them, asking them, guys, can you please leave? No charges. Well, act like it never I'm, happened. Like, are you kidding me? Eric Garner gets killed over allegedly selling cigarettes and we don't even a lot of people have said he wasn't selling cigarettes tamir rice gets shot within a half a second of those officers getting out of the vehicle walter scott gets shot while he's running away from the police because he owes child support you know and then the police tried the guys tried to frame him by putting a taser down while his dead lifeless body was laying there on the on the ground um i mean i could go on and on and on and come up with several you know freddie gray gets killed on a rough ride in the back of a van these are all people that are presumably you know like you know you know even if they were committing a crime potentially committing a crime a minor one and yet you have armed white men taking over a wildlife refuge that refuse to leave that have said they will have an armed insurrection of the government and not one police officer not one person from law enforcement not nobody not one person is in there threatening their life threatening them or potentially saying that they're going to be shot if they don't move and nobody's moving in to arrest them. So to tell me that we don't have a double standard in this country when it comes to what you can get away with depending on the color of your skin is quite frankly a load of crap. It really is. And on that note, we have a call on the line who would like to let their voice be heard. We have William on the line. William, let your voice be heard. Yes, this is William. I would like to, to, the global family to know that we're listening to, we're listening to some real rebels right now. And it's really encouraging to me to hear some real rebels that's really what America really stands for. You know, to be patriotic is something so unpatriotic is ridiculous. But I'm hearing what this country is really built on, you know, and to hear from some some unsung people, un, unnamed, un, you know, on the, on the air, it's really encouraging. And um, 
I'm sorry to hear that you're going through such so much stuff, um, Stanley, as far as getting abused by these here so-called authority, man. You know, so this is why Occupy Wall Street rebels. You know, I you know I, I supported them, and I, I'm so surprised that in our communities, I'm seeing less and less of black people who seem to be the target of this. Really, having I'm talking about in the local areas, on the job places. It's like these are the ones that people are speaking up for, and these are the ones that's really, I'm, you know, is like, you know, they, I got my job, so you know everything's <laughs> fine, and I get more more arguments kind of scenarios from you know the black tough guy. They want to be tough, but they're not tough towards no police. They want to fight each other and beat each other. So I'm kind of like I'm just encouraged to hear people that's taking a risk of speaking on the air about some of this stuff. Are you? Thank, thank you so much for that, William. I do want to say that, you know, I've gone through a couple of things, but it's nothing compared to the real activists who are out there every single day protesting, standing up to the police, holding sit-ins, strategizing, organizing. I got a couple of followers. People call me the N-word a couple of times, but I can go home. I don't have to worry about things like some of these, you know, um, Muslim students who are being followed by the cops. Um, Selena and Alyssa and I, we speak up. People may look at us funny, but we don't go through it. But we, do really, we really do appreciate the props for that. Yeah, we do. Alyssa, did you want to add no, on? No, absolutely. Yeah, no. What I actually wanted to actually add to this is this this talk about Occupy. As you pointed out, Occupy was very organized. In fact, Occupy was probably way more organized than these guys were. So I think the last part of this conversation is sort of the lightest part, which is, you know, these guys are so unorganized that they can't even figure out how to get enough food up there. Right. To the point where now they're apparently begging for snacks and the, the killer, the catch is... They're asking people to send these snacks through the federal post office. The federal government. Aren't they afraid that Obama will put anthrax in them? Like, what is... No, well, it's just the hypocrisy of them right, saying we hate the federal government, we're anti-federal government, but please right. send us snacks in the mail because we're not nearly as Occupy, uh, as organized as anybody from the Occupy movement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, um, but send them through the federal mail, yep. even though we hate the federal yeah. government. You, you know what's They're, awesome about Occupy? They fed everyone. Yep. Not right, just people they the did. You could, if you were there and you were hungry and they were having lunch, you could eat. Like the homeless people yeah. and everyone who happens to be there. Yep. I mean, it's just, there should be some type, I wish we could come up with some type of law or something. Like if you were engaging in criminal activity, you cannot still utilize some type of, some some of these services. Like I, I wish we could, but. They do have those laws, but it only applies to people of color. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're here, you can't use a lot of these services. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, Thank you for that. No, I mean, guys. This is terrible, and, you know, unfortunately, we have to wrap up this conversation, but this is still going to go on. We don't know how long, again, the FBI, federal agents are waiting for them to just, like, wear it just to basically get tired and eventually just um, concede in a peaceful manner, but that might not happen. Depends on how determined they are to take back, well, not even take back, but to take over this federally owned land. Um, You know, final thoughts and comments from you guys. Where do you see this going from now? And, you know, what's the lesson to be learned here? Well, I'm not going to say what I really think the lesson is because I don't want to seem bitter. But I will say this. Nothing's going to happen. These ranchers will be laughed at and they'll leave eventually. And all the story will just, like, lose interest to many people and nothing will happen to them. Maybe they'll get a couple of slaps on the wrist. But nothing is going to happen because the federal government is not going to engage. And if they did, they'd say it's because the black guy hates white people. And Barack Obama, the black guy. Um... I'm I'm just very pessimistic at this point about a lot of things in relation to race relations and just the hypocrisy. So 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I have to agree with that. I actually think that the federal government's not going to back down unless somebody there starts shooting at federal agents. I don't think that the government's actually going to do anything. I have a feeling at some point these guys will probably take the safe passage out. I don't know when. I could be wrong because apparently now there's another militia group that showed up and now they're potentially getting in a standoff with this militia group. So, you know, you want to have optimism towards the Stanley. Maybe these two militiamen groups will shoot at each other and uh, they're... <laughs> We can't. I'm not wishing that on anyone. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just. My point is. My, my point is this, which is, you know, there's a, a, an immense amount of hypocrisy when something like this happens, not once but twice, and we all know damn well that if this was somebody of other color, this would not be going down the way it's going down. So, uh, you know, as disheartening as it is, though, um, you know, I think the biggest lesson to be learned to answer the second is that if the government doesn't do something the first time just like they didn't the first time they took over the land yeah. uh, then and they said we're going to fight you in court then they're just going to come back and they're going to keep doing it so at some point if you know even if the government's not going to step in and start shooting at people people yeah. have to be prosecuted for the laws that they have broken otherwise nobody is going to get the uh, you know the message that this is not something that they can continue to do yeah. it is frustrating that I, can, I was in Bensonhurst yesterday and I was walking down the street and people were visibly afraid of me mm. I was wearing my New York Mets hoodie and sweatpants not the tight ones the baggy ones and I can't even walk down the street without having to make myself look f- like the friendly Negro because people have all these preconceived notions about African-Americans, but these guys can go into a building with guns and threaten to kill federal agents and just be chilling. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that what the Bundy family has done is set such a dangerous precedent, right? We've seen what happened in 2014, and now his own son is basically doing the same thing and you know, even invoking their religion and their faith and saying we're doing this uh, by God. We have been inspired by God to take this action. And I think that it's going to continue to happen. And by federal agents being so passive, and passive aggressive and just saying we just hope this comes to a peaceful end what's going to this is going to keep happening because they you know they won their last standoff right in 2014 and and if they are able to walk off that land with no with with no prosecution with no indictment with no type of charges against them then they basically would have won again And, and even if it's just getting the word out even if it is just you know raising awareness or or getting their agenda out in some way that they they are winning, whereas everyone else, every other group of people who happen to be of color, who happen to be of a different type of faith, who happen to be, you know, who just don't have white privilege and that type of leverage in our society have to continue to suffer. And it's just, I mean, it's just really sad. And I think that we'll continue to watch this play out. But, you know, thank God for... Us, thank God for the, the fact that we can let our voices be heard and the Twitter community and the people who haven't been afraid to say that, you know, this is terrorism, let's call it like it is, and let's make sure that our media is also depicting this as it is and telling uh, telling the story as it is. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be talking about some of the biggest news stories of the week during the News Roundup. Breathe, girl, breathe. Yeah. Running through the six with my walls.
Back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. Easy. If you just tuned in, we were just talking about the Bundy Ranchers in Oregon holding it hostage. Because why? Well, because they want their friends to get out of jail for setting federal government property on fire. And we think that's stupid. And now it's the news roundup. You know what else is stupid? Some news we're going to bring up. And it could be funny. And it could make you curse. And it could make you flip a table. And if you want to do those things, give us a call at 212-650-6903. Hit it with me, Alyssa Fuchs and Selena Hill. All right. Well, this is not stupid. I just want to let you guys know. Stu- Maybe the news could be stupid fresh if you put it in that type of context. Well, I'll, tell you, you know what? I'll give you some news that's stupid. <laughs> All right. This week, Republicans voted for like the, I think it's like the 57th or 58th time to op- to repeal Obamacare. What? And they sent this, oh no, and repeal Obamacare and defund Planned Parenthood. And of course, it got to the president's desk and guess what Obama said? F no. Can, he said veto. <laughs> he said veto. Can I just say how frustrated I am by the Republican Party who continue to pander to constituents and to their base? They know for a fact that Obamacare will never be repealed under the president's administration, yet they continue to waste our tax dollars, waste our time, whereas we have mass shooting after mass shooting, and um, we have all of these people getting locked up who happen to be black and brown for nonviolent, <laughs> um, no violent, you know, nonviolent offenses. We have all of these things that actually need some time and attention but all congress wants to do is try to stop and cut off planned parenthood and repeal obamacare like i i benefit from obamacare can we please stop you know what's funny they call planned parenthood an abortion clinic even though only three percent of like their work is actually abortions that's like calling mcdonald's a salad place because they have one salad meal <laughs> that's on actually their menu. a really good analogy like, that's how Perfect analogy. Saying, like i said so president obama said hell no veto that's right hell no veto no it's just i mean I'm glad that Obama said that, but it's it's just frustrating at it's this point. It's frustrating because if a Republican gets elected president, which you got to go out and vote, you got to make sure that doesn't happen. You got to vote for Hillary or for Bernie, whoever it is. You got to vote for that person Bernie. because yeah, I'm talking about in the general, whoever it is, whether it's Hillary or Bernie, you got to go out and vote for that person because if they get in, then there is going to be no more person going hell no veto, and it's going to be sign, 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 and then people like Selena are going to go and be going, where's my health insurance? Yeah, I would love to see that fiasco. You know how many millions of people more have and are using and benefiting from the Affordable Care Act? What do they plan to do with that? They don't even have a plan. But um, I wanted to move on and talk about El Chapo, who has finally been caught. So back in July, he made his second successful prison break right in Mexico. And he's just been living on the lam with his beauty queen wife and basically bragging about the fact that he is one of the most notorious and successful king um, drug pin, excuse me, drug kingpins in the world. And he's also responsible for a lot of the cocaine, marijuana and heroin that are sold in U.S. streets. So he was just, you know, living off his millions and billions of dollars until he decided, you know what? You know how I want to seal my legacy how? with a biopic. So he actually has been contacting a number of Hollywood actors and producers to get his biopic filmed. And he happened to do an interview with Sean Penn. Yo, why do so, people do whatever they want? Well, How do you deal with a fugitive? Right, so basically, Money. Sean Penn... What the... Sean Penn actually put out this full full length article in Rolling Stone after what? he met with El Chapo and back in October. And you can read it. It's on Rolling Stone Holy right what? now. 
What? But but like, hey, but here's the thing. But here's the thing. If it wasn't for Sean Penn meeting with El Chapo, more than likely officials would have never been able to track him down. So it was a good thing because they used the communication that he's been having with Sean Penn Selena, to find him. Selena, had that been freaking Sean King or um Tyson Beckford, he would have been in jail with El Chapo <laughs> right now. What in the white is happening in here? <laughs> Holy white. <laughs> wow. I don't but I think that's the topic of today's show. Yo, <laughs> if, if I win this Powerball, I'm going to get white surgery. <laughs> this is ridiculous. You're going to become a white man? Yes. I was gonna the, say the male Rachel Dozell. But I think I'm going to have to wait and say it off the air. Yeah, you got to say that off the air. <laughs> Stanley's going to be the reverse Rachel Dozell. Well, I have some less confusing um, news. So Bernie Sanders was on um, the, the Nightly Show. I think it's, I forgot the name of the show that... Um, that Stephen Colbert is on now, but he hinted that Elizabeth Warren could be his vice president pick. And guys, I think that is a horrible idea. Why? What do you? Okay, here's why I think it's a horrible idea. Vice presidents are more or less powerless. Yeah, they don't do One, anything. they don't do anything. It's like it's like curtains. Two, why would you take her out of, the, out of the Senate when she's pretty much the most vocal and popular radical that we have there? Right. No, I agree with that. And actually, I, I think it make it would make more sense if it was Hillary that was picking her, right? Because a lot of the problems that Hillary has is with the far left, uh, is with Bernie's supporters that are like not sure if they're going to go out and vote for Hillary if she should get the nomination. So if Hillary was smart, she would potentially float somebody that's to the left of her. This way she could shore up all those people on the left. But, uh, you know, Bernie and and um, Elizabeth Warren occupy a very, very similar place. So I don't think it makes sense to have the both of them on a ticket together right. when, as you point out, it should be her staying in the Senate where she's really needed. Yeah. I think Bernie's just banking on his popularity with young progressives. And we all know that young progressives absolutely love and adore Elizabeth Warren. So he's just like, why not up the ante a bit and get the you know, and use her? It's not even smart, like election strategy wise because they, they they're attracting the same base and vice presidential picks give you a slight boost in the polls for maybe a week or so and then it goes right back down it's all about the base you've built already that, well, that doesn't help you right well well speaking of pandering to a base donald trump on friday had well i don't i don't want to just blame it on donald trump but his supporters at a rally in south carolina had a muslim woman wearing a hijab escorted hijab escorted from the rally while she was booed and people were and heckled people were saying that you have a bomb get out you need to leave what all of this if she had a bomb why wouldn't they run <laughs> that's one you i mean the the, the too much logic right it is it's just too much logic there and I, I think that all she did was stand up in silent protest and people were just going off and she said that the reason why i even went to the rally was to show donald trump supporters that this is what a muslim looks like right I she's saw a that. peace the, the the religion itself is about peace she was actually wearing a, a shirt that said i come in peace and i just want to talk and, and and you know just get to know one another and she was escorted out. You know, speaking of volatile situations, did you hear that North Korea apparently set off a nuclear weapon, another one? This is their fourth nuclear test. They claimed that they set off an H-bomb, but scientists who have looked at the seismic data have said there's no way it could be an H-bomb because <laughs> the amount of, uh, you know, seismic activity that you would have for an explosion that would be that large. Um, basically, they say this explosion was the equivalent of like six or seven kilotons of TNT, but if you know anything about an H-bomb, because the U.S. actually has them, H-bombs set off explosions that are, you know, 
200 times bigger than that. So, Hydrogen bombs, by the way, for those who don't know. Right, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, so basically um, North Korea is saying that they did it, but a lot of people are saying no. That's <laughs> still, the fact that they are setting off nuclear weapons still is a concern, and yes. um, now there's a lot of people that say that uh, the United States needs to put more pressure on China to deal with North Korea because yeah. uh, they're known as the hermit state. They don't deal with anybody outside of the U.S., and there's always this fear that if they can start to figure out how to weaponize these things, they can create intercontinental ballistic missiles like the U.S. has. And that's scary. Yeah, that's really scary. That is really scary. Something else that may be scary is finding out you may have cancer. What? Or HPV, if you're a woman. What? What? Oh. So, and oh, okay. come on, Stanley. You knew this was coming. Yeah, it was just um, a weird transition. <laughs> no, I actually thought it was no. a good one. Well, it is scary to find out you it, have cancer. You no, know, that's, that's very scary. And January happens to be Cervical Cancer Health Month itself, right? And this is something that affects women. And, <laughs> it's, and, and I think that a lot of women are just not being made aware of how detrimental this can be and also how preventable um, it, it can be in a, in, a, in a number of ways. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we have two very special guests and friends of the show who are on the line right now with us to talk to us about cervical cancer. We have Kawanza Billy and Dr. Michelle A. Prigo. They are both the chapter leaders of the National Cervical Cancer Coalition in New, in New York City. And they're here to talk about that with us. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. So we, if you've been following the show for years, and we appreciate those who have, you know that we, you know, for the last two or three years now, we've been talking about this um, every January, and I wanted to ask um, Kwanzaa and uh, Doctor and Doctor Prigo, why is it so important, and why do you guys sort of go on these media rounds talking about the this issue? Well, it, it's so important because uh, cervical cancer is one hundred percent preventable. And we say that because we have excellent screening tools that are available with the PAP test and the HPV DNA test. And it's all about getting women to go to the doctor and to get these tests. And if you get these tests and you keep up on your cervical health, then someday we can eradicate cervical cancer with the PAP test and the HPV DNA test and also with vaccinating women and men who are younger and are not eligible for the test, but they are being exposed to the virus that causes cervical cancer. So how exactly does this happen, and what's the connection between cervical cancer and HPV? So HPV is a virus, and it's transmitted through intimate activity. So often you hear that it's transmitted through sexual contact, and that's true, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. You do not have to have intercourse to be exposed to HPV. So, so often we say, oh, but I'm being safe. I didn't actually quote-unquote, go all the way, so I'm, I haven't been exposed. And that's not, that's not how you uh, keep yourself safe from HPV. HPV lives on the skin of the genital tract. So it's just about the proximity of uh, genitalia that increases your exposure to the virus and why exposure to the virus is so important for uh, getting cervical cancer is that when, the vi- when you have a viral infection and it's not treated and the infection persists, then the infection uh, basically eats away at the healthy tissue of the genital tract. So in women, it would be your cervix and the interior lining of your vagina. And in men, um, it could be in the inside of the penis or the inside of the anal cavity as you're having anal sex. Oh. 
And, yeah, so it isn't just about women. You know, we still often focus about women because only women have services, but HPV affects men and women. So, so when the infection goes untreated, then more and more tissue is damaged, and then mm-hmm. that's when you get the onset of cancer. So the advantage of having your PAP test and your HPV DNA test and the regularly scheduled interviews that are set out by the American College of Gynecology and the American Cancer Society, then you're keeping up on your, on your health, and if an infection is detected, then the infection can be treated long before it persists and gets the cancer. So, you know, we're squirming over here in the studio just listening to some of these facts. To say the least. Right, to, to say the least, especially Stanley. All right, you know what? Um, <laughs> no, you were. Let's just be honest. It goes into your, your thing thing. What? Your penis. It, yes, like, well, this. yes, you can say penis. Oh, you can? Um, in this context. FCC. I th- <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things that I think really resonate, especially for young people who say like, oh, you know, well, we're avoiding STDs. I, my partner and I, we're avoiding STDs um, by, you know, not having a genital and, um, excuse me, viral and, um, excuse me, just, um, just intercourse the traditional way. But like you're saying, you can just have genital contact and it can still spread that way. What is it, and um, I'll, I'll throw this question towards you, Kwanzaa, but what is the best way that you would say to educate young people and even adults who are not aware of, of how this spreads and how it can be prevented? Uh, good morning. I'm sorry. I have a, a little bit of a cold. But to answer um, your question, um, what we're doing um, in the best way to educate is to, um, like we're doing, media circuits. We're looking to get in contact with parents. We do pop-up edu- educational events in salons. It's really to make the information accessible. Um, we're also working on legislation um, uh, to promote the vaccination and at least the conversations among um, school nurses and such because they're looking at it as the, as we say, say year after year, the cootie cancer. Um, and um, some parents are worried that the vaccine will actually um, encourage their children to be um, sexually active, where we are um, letting them know it's not about the, the sex or the heavy petting or uh, that part of HPV or cervical cancer. It's the prevention of cancer. We're talking about cancer, not the sex. Um, so the best way is to educate yourself about the vaccine. Um, if you um, are sexually active, to go make sure you're getting um, your screenings. And more recently, um, we've discovered that uh, where women were going to get these annually, and Michelle, you can correct me if I'm misquoting the information, but if you were going to get your HPV test and uh, pap smears annually, now insurance only covers it every three years. So there is a higher sense of urgency to make sure you're um, going for your women's wellness um, test every year. So you you are getting your test every three years um, as a CDC um, recommend. What, so, yep. What always baffles me is the pushback that a lot of parents um, give when it comes to vaccinating their children to prevent them from having a virus or disease or, in this case, cervical cancer. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess, I, you know, I'm not a parent myself, you know, not yet, knock on wood. But I mean, I just think it just makes so much sense to say that eventually your child is going to have sex. Right. Don't you you know, you probably want grandkids. Why not make sure it can happen in the safest way possible? And I mean, if you're vaccinating your child at what? 
before they're, you know, before they're five or six years old, how do they even know that this is what they're being vaccinated You're for? You're using logic, Selena. That doesn't work. No, here. I mean, I mean, so, you know, can you guys help make sense of that for me? Sure. So, the, so two things. The, the CDC um, and the FDA have agreed that the, the, screen, the, uh, the vaccination age for uh, men and women, or in this case we say boys and girls, is ages 9 to 26. And we say that that's the age range because that's when you're most likely to be exposed because that's when you're most likely to have multiple partners, um, you know, through your late teens and into your early 20s. And often parents are reluctant to administer the vaccine along with all the other vaccines, such as like measles and mumps, et cetera, um, because of the way that it is passed from partner to partner. And then it's framed as HPV is sexually transmitted, and then we have HPV vaccine, and you're, you have a parent out there who's saying, oh, well, my 9-year-old, I don't want to think about them having sex, or my 15-year-old, I don't want to think about them having sex. And therefore, I don't want to go out and get them vaccinated. Now, the misnomer with that, as Kwanzaa pointed out, is that it's a cancer vaccine, not a vaccine about sexually transmitted uh, infections. And it's really about uh, protecting your loved one's health, just as you would with measles or mumps. Those are also contagious. If I have the measles and I come over to your house and, let's say, we make out on the couch, then I've just increased your risk of getting the measles if you haven't been vaccinated. And so it, it follows the same logic that with HPV is that it's just another infection. It's just another, you know, creepy little germ that you can pass from person to person. And when we really switch it from talk about a sexually transmitted infection and we move it to the cancer conversation, I think that more and more, even if parents are still reluctant, uh, healthcare providers are more and more likely to push for it because they do see the benefits of a cancer vaccine. Right. Please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with your organization and both of you women personally if they have further questions or, um, or want some more information. Sure. So our national website is NCCC, that's National Cervical Cancer Coalition-Online.org. And there's a plethora of information on there. Um, our parent organization is the American Sexual Health Organization. And so in addition to information about cervical cancer, you can also find information about many other um, questions you may have about sexual health in general. And for contacting myself or Kwanzaa specifically, um, our email addresses are, um, for Kwanzaa's, it's kbilly at ncc-online.org. And for myself, it's Michelle A. Trigo at uh, ncc-online.org. And we encourage everyone to get more information, to make their wellness appointment, to get their pap smear, to get their HPV DNA test if the doctor thinks it's appropriate, because it's a life-saving test, and there's nothing worse than realizing, oh, I wish I'd gotten that test, and now I didn't. Right now, I have cancer. Thank you so much, Kawansa and Michelle. We appreciate you coming on our show and sharing this valuable information with us. We also appreciate the work you are doing and continue to do to spread awareness on this issue. And again, guys, I mean, education is always key. I think when we we talk to young people about sex and health and 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 just being safe, it goes so much further than telling them 
or just trying to prevent them from having sex at all or trying or trying to act like it's like the apocalypse or something. It's just that has proven over and over again to not work. But on that note, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about the man-made water fiasco that is actually poisoning the poor in Flint, Michigan, right after this break. Very classy. Here's what we're dealing with today in the state of Michigan. In the state of Detroit, in the, in the state of Michigan, we have the city of Detroit. We all know about Detroit has gone bankrupt. Families don't have water because the city is cutting off their water. There are blocks and blocks of abandoned houses. What we haven't talked about a lot, though, is another city in there, Flint. Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan, which was a town that was booming at one point and had over 300,000 people in that town. But you know, one of the biggest things that happened to the U.S. in the last 10 years was the Great Recession. And a lot of places like Detroit, like Baltimore, like parts of New York, never recovered from the Great Recession. Because you know why? The Great Recession, when it left, it took entire industries with it. One of those industries was the car industry. And while some people will say it still thrives in Michigan and in Detroit, it is nowhere near as big and as impactful as it was back in, say, 2002, maybe even 2003. Or back, like, during the 60s and 70s. Exactly, when you had strong unions and strong industries. It is not that strong. And because of that, and in result, you have seen Flint, Michigan, one of the most thriving cities all across the U.S., really become a shell of itself. And I don't say that to bash Michigan or Flint, but I say it because this is what we have seen. So a city or a town, whatever you want to call it, which had up to... 400,000 people is now only, they only have now about 99,000 people, we'll say 100,000 just to be friendly. And they went to being one of the best towns with the best jobs to being a city with one of the highest crime rates in all of the United States of America. And because maybe, I don't know, it doesn't have a sexy name like Detroit or because there are a lot of people of color who live in this city, people have not been talking about it that much. But wait, they have. There's been this undercurrent of conversation. People have been whispering and they've been saying the people of Flint, Michigan are thirsty. They have nothing to drink. And when they shower, they come out and they find burns on their arms. They all of a sudden are losing their hair and they're coughing and they're sick and their children seem to be struggling with something, but no one knew what it was. And they complained to the ma- to the governor and the governor said, hey, you are totally fine. And they complained to their mayor and the mayor was like, hey, I don't know what's going on. And they asked the federal government to look at the water and the federal government and said your water is completely safe because you know why flint michigan used to get their water from detroit but governor snyder he has been lauded as a great republican governor who was helping to save money and he helped to save detroit even though he tried to file for bankruptcy but we're not going to talk about that right now he wanted to save money and he said hey let's move away from detroit's water system because we don't want to pay 13 million dollars we are going to save flint all of this money but the question became where will you get your water so they started getting it from the flint lake river Pardon me, thank you, Alyssa, from the Flint River. And they said this water is absolutely fine. Even though there have been complaints of waste going into the Flint River and of other like chemicals going into there, fracking fluids, like I mentioned earlier in the show before we talked about this segment, they were getting the water from there. And then people were saying the water smells really bad. It's coming out brown. It doesn't look or taste healthy. And the governor was saying, you know what? You are absolutely safe. There was nothing wrong with you. So they trusted him and they got sicker and sicker and they complained and they protested and no one listened because unfortunately as far as we have come in this country it seems to be that when people of color have an issue 
in particular when it comes to their environment, how they breathe, how they live, how they drink, how they eat, how they survive. No one gives too much of a rat's behind. But then all of a sudden, I guess the right people started to complain. And what did they discover? Lead in the water. And not just a little bit of lead, because any level of lead is dangerous, but a lot of lead. So much lead that more than likely, a huge majority of the children in Flint, Michigan, have been contaminated with lead. And do you guys know what lead does to you? Well, I'll give you a hint. Freddie Gray, the young man who was killed by the police through a rough ride, his family won a lawsuit settlement over lead because their apartment was contaminated with lead which has been barred from being in any building or in any product because even a limited amount of exposure can help to lower your iq and your cognitive skills and increase the likelihood of impulsiveness within human beings there was an article that cited the the the, the recidivism of lead in the use of products in the declining crime because like you said lead it, it pushes for impulsiveness and yet, that was in the water. So these families have been drinking this water. Their children have been bathing in this water. They've been consuming this water. And they were getting sick and no one was listening to them. And then they had to start buying bottled waters because even though they did not have jobs because the unemployment rate is one of the highest in the entire country, and even though many people did not have homes because like Detroit, many houses are abandoned because they cannot afford them, they now had to invest in bottled water. And all of a sudden, Governor Rick Snyder said, oh, you know, maybe this lead thing is a bad idea. And he's called a state of emergency. And he's saying that we had to deal with this, but no one wants to take the blame for it because the governor said, hey, it's not my fault. And the manager is saying, hey, I'm just trying to help. And the manager who took over in Flint because you had to manage the city because it was in crisis, he's saying, hey, I didn't do this. Me and my families are still struggling. The state is not helping. They're not providing bottled water to the people who live there. They're still pussyfooting around the issue. The EPA hasn't really jumped in yet, and the federal government is not being aggressive or even active on this issue. So instead... We sit here frustrated, tired, maybe even angry, and we're having a conversation of how we got to the point where Michigan, Flint, water was poisoned so bad that children are in danger. I think this is a classic case of who knew what and when did they know it and how far up to the top does it go? Now, obviously, there's a, an initial problem that you raised, which is this issue of, of these managers, these emergency managers. Part of the political system is that when you elect people to represent you and they don't do a good job, you have the opportunity to go to the ballot box and get them out of there. Now, when an emergency manager is appointed by the, gov by the governor, then there's nobody that's being held accountable accountable to the people anymore because, uh, you know, this person is politically isolated from being voted out of office. So mm -hmm. that's like an initial uh, level problem with democracy. You want to just come in for a second? You can finish up, Drango. Oh, no. But I mean, then you have the, the bigger issue, right, which is they wanted to save money. OK. And, you know, saving money is a lofty goal. But at the same time, you have to look at the pros and cons to this saving of the money. And clearly they did not do that. They decided to make this decision. Nobody went and tested the water until after it was too late. They were just like, you know, hey, let's save some money. And maybe that was, in theory, a good idea. But in reality, not only was it a bad idea that led to the poisoning of all of these people, now... In order to fix this, because now even if they uh, if they switch back to getting water to Detroit, because of the water that went through. So the water from the river was high in, in salt. It had a really high salt content. And what this salt content did was start to um, corrode the pipes. And when the pipes started to corrode, they started to leach lead from the pipes into the water. OK, so now even if you switch back to getting your water from Detroit, 
the pipes are still corroded. So now they have to change the whole infrastructure. Now the infrastructure was already bad. But now in order to save a little bit of money that they were trying to save, they ruined all the pipes. And now they're saying it's going to cost like $1.3 billion because now even if they go back to getting the water from Detroit, it's still going to go through those lead pipes that are, that are corroded. So, <laughs> yeah. So so now you, you tried to save a little bit, but you created a worse problem because now all your pipes are corroded. Now you have to completely get rid of the entire infrastructure and put all new infrastructure in to even get clean water from the place you were getting it from before yeah. you decided to change to save this money. Yep. And this, this is what I don't understand about Republicans all the time. This is it's not even a Republican thing. This is a basic common sense thing. And now to help us with this conversation because Alyssa and Selena and I can go on all day long, but we're not from Michigan. We don't live in Michigan. We don't deal with those problems. We have someone who was on the ground and her name is Valerie Jean and she is a Detroit based environmental justice activist and organizer with Detroit Coalition Against Tar Sands, the Detroit Light Brigade, and the People's Potluck. She also helped organize the arrest Snyder rally at Flint City Hall on Friday, January in order to bring awareness to the man-made water issue and raise the voices of the people in Flint who have not been heard. Valerie, thank you so much for calling in and thank you for dealing with my 27-minute long introduction. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. I, um, I'm happy to be here. We're well, happy to, to have you, Valerie. Good morning. So, Valerie, listen, like, I've, I've, I've talked everyone's ears off. I want them to find out what's going on. Can you give us an idea of what is happening on the ground right now? How are people dealing with this? Um, well... In the last, it's, well, this has been going on for 17 months. Um, for, we're literally two years into this. Um, we, and we've been protesting the entire time, bringing um, awareness to it. We, the governor definitely knew that this was happening. Um, so right now on the ground, there's been like a boom because of the, the media attention. All of a sudden, everybody's paying attention. Um, so right now on the ground, there's a lot of water being delivered to Flint. They were without water. Um, their community water stations were empty for about a week. So, uh, after our protest and, um, all of the national media attention, water's coming in from everywhere. Wait, Valerie, so one second. I'm sorry to cut you off, but did you just say that the, the residents of Flint had been, had gone a week without clean water? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> they, um, they, the residents have been uh, depending on community water banks, uh, community-led volunteer water banks. They were organized by families and people who um, who realized way before anybody uh, said something was wrong with the water. You know, they realized way before that there was something wrong, and um, people were getting sick, and their children were getting sick. So yes, they were without. Um, they, the community water banks were without water for almost a week. And, and people who can't afford to buy bottled water or don't have a car to go get it, um, and they live inside the city, they were just, they've been, they have to drink it. They have to bathe in it. <laughs> they don't have any choice. They have to brush their teeth in it. They, you know, um, and even once they get the bottled water, it's not enough to meet their needs. Right. You can't because you can't do anything with the water, <laughs> nothing. And there's a lot more than lead in it. So the Flint River was an, industri an industrial dumping ground for um, all the big car companies and and a lot of industry. So there is it's a toxic soup. It, um, my friend, Melissa Mays, she's uh, an amazing activist. that has been working on this since the beginning. She started Water You Fighting For. She right now, I mean, as we speak, she's. 
she's going through because she has so much lead and copper in her body and in her joints. She actually sets off um, uh, uh, detectors and metal detectors because it's gathered into her joints to the point where it's she's extremely sick. Her children are sick. Um, It's absolutely devastating to, you know, this is actually unconscionable. Like this is actually that this is happening to, to so many families and and most of them poor families that they didn't have any choice but to drink to water. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, it's like a violation of the UN Charter about human rights, which I want to talk about later on in the segment. Um, now, uh, you mentioned a few things that I wanted to touch on. One, I'm I'm glad that water is being delivered and that all these people are donating water. But to me, it still doesn't solve this underlying problem, which is that it's going to cost up to one point five billion dollars to fix the pipe infrastructure in the city. And so while lots and lots of water donations are very nice, at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to pay to fix that infrastructure problem, which I we can get into in a second. But here's the, the initial question that I wanted to ask you, which is, you said this has been going on for 17 months. Why are we just hear about, hearing about this now? Why is it that this has not been publicized up until, you know, why did it take so long to get this publicized? Why didn't more people know about this? Why haven't anything being done about this for so long? The Michigan media, um, because we we actually have been protesting and in the streets over it that entire time, the Michigan media sells the governor's narrative. Um, They never, it's very, very, very rare that we get um, local media to to kind of tell the people's story um, from our perspective, from what's happening. Always, always, always they tell um, the governor's narrative. So that's kind of what happened. You know, they kept, he kept coming out and telling people, relax. Actually, that was his words. Relax. The water's fine. Um, You know, keep drinking it. You know, that was his, that was his response to that. I mean, um, Valerie, we're sitting here just baffled, especially myself. Like you said, what has been going on for the last 17 months is unconscionable. And, you know, just to add on, Flint is 57, 56% black, and it's also said to be one of the poorest cities in the whole country. So when you ask why it hasn't been giving the, um, the media coverage it deserves and why this is even happening, I mean, to me, it's clear. These are poor people of color. And when it comes to injustice, poor people of color feel it the most, and they feel it the first. And, that's, and they feel it the first. Um, and that's always how our country has been. I wanted to... You know, I'm still thinking about how you just said there's this woman who has so much lead in her system that she sets off metal detectors. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that. But, you know, with the protests and the, the rallies that are going on, a lot of people are calling for the arrest of Governor Rick Snyder. Why do you think that he deserves to be arrested and that this is somehow equates to crimin- criminal activity? Oh, uh, I'm, I want to kind of respond to the the uh as far as all the emergency managers that were um imposed on michigan after we voted them out so we have to start with the basis that they're unconstitutional and illegal from the get all of them were placed in black cities <laughs> all of them um highland park uh um inkster you know detroit of course got one so you can you have to start out from those bases that a, they were all black cities, and you can see it from the um, see it from where they were placed. You can look and and, and see that, and also that these, um, you know, they're considered sacrifice zones always. So it wasn't any, you know, these people. 
he didn't think anything about imposing an emergency manager on these people. They're expendable to him, in my view. Um, and then, I'm sorry, what was the exact question? Well, why are you calling for the arrest of, of Governor okay. Snyder? Yes. Yeah, okay. So um, we... The people of Flint, because they're so sick, they we got together and we um, with the, with Detroit activists and and all of us kind of had this um, this conversation about you know how how this was beyond criminal, like you know, and almost genocidal, right? So um, they they started. We we decided we were going to call um, for the arrest and indictment and investigate. Well, the investigation, arrest, and indictment of the um, governor because. It, there's nothing else that that will do. There's just no no other um, for for a crime like this. He's, <laughs> nothing else. There's yeah, nothing else that will do. No, you're absolutely right with that, uh, Valerie. We do have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will continue this conversation about this devastating man-made water fiasco that is poisoning the poor people of Flint, Michigan. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And if you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Valerie Jean. She's a Detroit-based environmental uh, justice activist. She's also an organizer with the Detroit Coalition Against Tar Sands. And I want to mention that even though she's been on the grounds in Flint, Michigan, uh, raising awareness about this man-made water fiasco that is literally poisoning the poor there, um, she I wanted to make mention that she told me but when I was booking her as, as a guest that it's so important that the black community members and organizers in Flint who not only have uh, that are not only organizing but they're suffering literally when they go home and they have this lead contaminated water just pouring out their faucets um, it's, a, it's important that we raise their voices but it just so happens that this weekend uh, because the Flint community went a whole week without any fresh water and they just started bringing in all of these um, bottles and cases of water all of the organizers and members were unavailable and because they had to be on the ground to distribute this free water to the residents so obviously that takes priority and um, and, I, and I just want to thank uh, Valerie again for calling in and doing all the activism that she has been doing on the ground there. Thank you. Thank you thank, <laughs> for thank you. Um, having me on. Uh, so I have a question for you, which is we've talked a lot about the arrest. Now, uh, an arrest is a pretty high bar. Um, and as much as I agree with you and think that there is something potentially criminal going on here, at least criminal negligence at the very least, and that there should maybe be an arrest. As I said, it's a high bar. So uh, the next question is, should... Uh, the governor resigned because he's issued an apology and, you know, he's forced somebody from the uh, environmental group there, the guy who kept going, oh, the water's fine, everybody should drink it. Um, that guy... He threw that him guy, under the bus. <laughs> right. He threw him under the bus. But in my mind, I think he should... I think the governor should resign. So do you think the governor should resign? And um, do we think that that may actually happen? And uh, short of the governor resigning, what does the governor need to now do to regain the trust of the people of Flint and to fix the problem that they caused okay the um that, what was the first question i'm sorry should the governor, the first, that was like a three-part question yes yeah, should the governor resign is the first part okay now as far uh, yes of course i think he should um take it upon himself to resign but it's not enough and it's not 
the uh, it's not appropriate. Of course, we we think there has to be an investigation and an arrest. Um, all of the people in Flint feel that way. So it's it. If he resigned, great. Um, I'd be fine with them arresting him in his office as the governor. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Um, I, there's no gaining the trust back of the community. Um, this has been asked repeatedly. You can't once you, once you have poisoned a municipal water supply, you don't get trust back. Um, the only people that are trusting that trust, trusting him right now are people who don't understand what has happened, what he's done, uh, what he knew. Um, now to fix it, uh, I mean, with I. We, I, it almost seems like Flint is going to be uninhabitable, right? Mm-hmm. And then to actually treat the problem, you're talking about huge amounts of bottled water pollution going into Flint, right? Yeah. That doesn't have, uh, they have no kind of recycling program or anything like that. All that bottled water and stuff is going right into landfills. The, the big winners in all of this are the bottled water companies. And it was the same way with the Detroit water shutoffs because we had huge amounts of bottled water being carried in. It was the only way people could bathe and eat and things like that, so they use it. Um, so this is the. I, I don't. Th- I don't think there's any response that he's going to be able to have right now that's going to fix it. Um, the only response is maybe huge water trucks being brought in, but you're going to have to do that daily. Uh, to, for one person to get through one day, we give them five gallons of water per person. Um, so. And if you've got four people in your house, that's 20 gallons of water a day that you have to have to survive. So you're talking about hauling in truckloads of water daily for years. <laughs> I mean, years. So I don't know. I, it, I'm, it, part of me feels like Flynn is going to be uninhabitable, that he's not going to be able to respond to this. Um, they're not going to be able to use their water infrastructure like ever. It has to be replaced. They're looking at like 10 years or something like that, and that's if they start now to replace it. So I don't. I think all those people are going to be, um, re, you know, just displaced. This displaced. is this is beyond egregious, Valerie. I, I do want to um, kind of take a step back for a second. When we were talking at the beginning of the segment, you mentioned lead was not the only um, chemical in the water. You mentioned someone had copper. What other chemicals are in the water that you've known of maybe before this lead situation? It's it's a toxic soup of heavy metals. So um, everything that that the GM um, company, it's like any kind of heavy metal, industrial heavy metal, it's many, many, many of them. (laughs) Lots of heavy metals in that water. It's not just lead. Um, I'm not sure what the other ones are. Antimony, formaldehyde, some chemicals like that. We can expect them there? Uh, What did you say? Antimony, formaldehyde. Oh, I would think. I, I don't know. Uh, okay. I don't know for sure. Okay, no problem. And I don't want to, like, speculate. Um, I just know what uh, what the Virginia Tech um, guy that was per- that came out and, you know, started testing people's water when, when they couldn't get help from the government to test mm-hmm. it, he said it was a toxic soup that it ate through nails. Wow. That it, like, you should, I mean, he immediately came back to Flint and was like, don't ever drink this water. Don't ever, 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 ever don't do it. He said it was a toxic soup of heavy metal chemicals. 
Thank heavy you so- metal and chemicals. Listen, guys, if you're tuning in, you're, you're ticked off like I am, give us a call. The number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. Alyssa, and get I just I think people don't even realize how much, uh, just putting aside drinking water for a second and just talking about water that people use to bathe, to cook, to do a lot of other things. When I was in California and they're going through a drought and we were monitoring, the, I was staying at a friend's house, monitoring just how much water we were using in order to make sure we were using less. Like, I don't think people realize just how much water we need to use in our everyday lives for things aside from drinking. And then when you add drinking water into that, the amount of water each person uses every day is immense. So when we're talking about a situation like this, where as our guest just said, it's going to take, this is not like a problem that's going to be fixed overnight. This is a problem that could take years and years and years to fix. And we're billions, just talking about the water infrastructure, right. not even the health implications, exactly. right? Years and generations are going to be affected by this, literally. Yeah. Generations of people. Right. I mean, this is not a problem that's going away. This is this is something that happened in a small amount of time because of the governor making this decision uh, and them implementing this, you know, this program without ever doing any research into the effect that it was going to have. And this is a problem that's going to be ongoing for generations. I mean, like at least the next 50 years from the the issue of the infrastructure to the issue of, as our guest points out, the poisoning of these people as they get older and grow into adulthood. And guess what? Uh, there's also going to be some major lawsuits about this also I'm sure um, so that's going to be another thing and and where is the city going to come up with and the governor and the state going to come up with this money to pay out the lawsuits to all these people whose children have all these problems um, because of the water for generations to come uh, so I mean this is just like oh you know a, a, just a giant cluster F yeah, <laughs> Alyssa, I, I, trust me, I'm with you. I really want to curse so bad right now. But we cannot, and neither can the caller on the line. Miss Deborah would like to let her voice be heard. She promised me she would behave because I told her the, a segment earlier she'd be ticked off when this segment came on. Miss Deborah, let your voice be heard. Hi. Um, did you say that the water would eat through nails? Yes. Yeah, the guest did, I believe. Yes. Okay. It's actually it's on the Rachel Maddow interview, the first one that she did, uh, right. December 19th. She, she showed it. The Virginia Tech uh, water specialist that tested the water said, don't ever drink it. It eats through nails and showed, a, showed, it, showed the experiment he did where the water was eating through nails. Okay. Uh, have, have there been any uh, fatalities? Uh, people are very, very sick. People, okay, there's not, they're not proven. They're ha- people have died. I have gotten very, very sick from um, uh, all of these things, but it's not. It's not like recorded yet. Okay. It's they have. It's like the community this has an inkling. That's governor, the reason. This governor should be. He. He's. He's. He is. If he has not, he is attempting to murder people, and he put yeah. somebody in front of him to do the work. Okay, and and if it were in another place, you know, we'd be talking about it. And I think that every week, if Rachel. You know, I'm not saying that she doesn't, but if she has a conscience, you all need to do something every week about this. And I think that people should write in and let her know that she should do something about this every week. 
Thank you so much again for that, Ms. Deborah, for calling in. I agree. And you know what? This man-made water fiasco in Flint is just the tipping point as to why Snyder needs to resign today. Flint has high rates of gun violence, a crumbling infrastructure, and 40% of the residents are living in poverty, as I mentioned. This, I mean, it was a bound to happen. I mean, and for the fact that, you know, Valerie, our guest, has said that pretty much this community is going to be um, inhabitable means that these people are going to be displaced. And it's like, are we going to have buses and, and, and money and the means to help them relocate in some other place? Or is this just going to be another forgotten city? I mean, this happens all across the country, particularly the black and brown neighborhoods. That, I, I just wanted to add one more thing, which is that, you know, they're saying that the lead, I know you said there's other chemicals in the water, but the lead level is nearly 900 times the recommended EPA limit for lead particles. The governor, oh, I'm sorry, the city, at least the city, knew about this problem since May of 2014. And in February of 2015, they were still telling people that they could drink the water. And people yeah. were complaining and complaining and complaining. And I bet you, and again, and this is similar to the conversation we had during the first segment about the Bundy Ranch. If these were white people, that were complaining as early as May of 2014 about this issue. Somebody would have looked into it and somebody would have done it if they were middle-class white people with money. I guarantee you that nobody... They wouldn't have done it to middle-class white people with um, money. If you look at the stats of, uh, you know, like the environmental racism stats, (laughs) the actual, like, they don't do that to those people. They move those people out. When when Marathon expanded their um, oil refinery here in southwest Detroit took out huge amounts of land, right? They bought out the affluent people on one side, bought them out, bought their houses, gave them good money for it. The other people, the black and brown people on the other side, they still haven't been bought out. They won't even give them an evacuation plan. They have these huge explosions all the time, and they won't even give these, they won't even call these people and tell them if they need to be evacuated. They have no evacuation plan for them. Wow. This, this is so troubling to but hear. But you know, and, and racism's I, dead because we have a black president. Yeah, my president is black. Lambo's blue. Um, Valerie, I'm, I'm so I'm so sorry, but we do have to wrap this conversation up. I would love it if you can let our listeners know how they can get involved, what they can do to support you, your work and everyone's work in Michigan. Um, right now, just calling for the governor's investigation. Um, people can help with that. Uh, if you want to help um, get whole, if you want to help Flint get a hold of what are you fighting for? If you want to help in Detroit, the Detroit water shutoff is still going on. Um, you can get a hold of the People's Water Board. They fight tirelessly um, on both fronts. Yeah, it's thank thank you so much for that, Valerie. So, guys, we are going to wrap up this conversation. Um, so, in the last year and a half, you guys have really heard me talk a lot about environmental justice, and you've heard me talk about environmental racism. And maybe I haven't made much sense. I remember a couple of shows ago, I tried to connect what's going on in East Harlem with the COP21 agreement. It didn't hit so smoothly. But if you've ever been confused, all you have to do is rewind this segment right here, and you will have a perfect a perfect example of what environmental racism, environmental justice means. Environmental justice, environmental racism is when the powers that be make decisions that can negatively impact the community because they believe that they do not have political or financial influence because of their financial standing their skin color or their background and you know who usually gets hurt when those things happen places like indigenous communities african americans latino americans lgbt communities women of color these are the people who are always hurt and because of this and because rick snyder and all of his cronies and the state and in the city felt that these people had no power to punish them they decided that they were going to over 
save a couple of dollars and potentially, not potentially actually, definitely poison an entire generation of children. Lead has permanent damages. There is no coming back from that. These children will, will have issues with paying attention in class. It may lower their IQ. It may make them sick. It affects your skin. It affects your temperament. These children are permanently damaged and the people in that community have gone a week and maybe even longer without clean water now may have to leave their communities. And you know what you won't see? You won't see a transition plan for them. You won't see families getting bought out. You won't see American people standing firm and holding the governor's foot to the fire. You know why? Because once again, when communities of color, when poor communities, when indigenous people are at the forefront of struggling, we seem to turn our backs. And what we cannot let happen have happened right now is that we are fired up today and tomorrow we're over because Kim K posted a new selfie or because Kanye West dropped a new single because five days from now five years from now 15 years from now there will be people who are still dying because of what happened in Flint Michigan today and there will be people and children who can't focus in class because they have lead poisoning and Governor Snyder will be seen somewhere as a hero who saved Flint and Michigan's economy and we cannot let that happen we have to be angry we have to be active we have to fight because if we don't one once again, the establishment will win and environmental racism will be the rule of the day as usual. We'll be right back, guys. When we return, we'll tell you why Barack Obama isn't taking your guns. I feel blessed. And we are back. So thank you so much for that. That was very passionate, and I really, really enjoyed that. Um, but you know what? Let me tell you something. Here's one thing that white people are up in arms about, and all of a sudden somebody's paying attention because, you know, they're mad or something and guns. Um, so let me tell you about how the president's not taking your guns because apparently that's what's pissing all these people off today uh, when they couldn't be bothered about the fact that the governor of Michigan is poisoning the residents or the fact that uh, nobody's prosecuting these uh, Second Amendment actions activists, quote unquote, out in uh, Oregon. Um, So let me tell you about this. There has been countless mass shootings over the past several years. Every year, more than 30,000 Americans die from gun violence. The president has urged Congress over and over and over again on multiple occasions to pass measures that would restrict access to guns in hopes that these measures would help to reduce gun violence. 95% of Americans, including gun owners, support these measures, yet Congress, who is a wholly owned subsidiary of the gun industry, specifically gun manufacturers and the NRA, does absolutely nothing. So they haven't acted. Even after that grisly mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in December 2012, Congress, guess what? They did nothing. So now the president has no choice but to act on his own. How is he going to do that? He's doing that with executive actions. So first off, president is the president. He cannot make laws. Only Congress can make laws, but he can take executive actions if they relate to the enforcement of laws that are already on the books because the executive branch is empowered to enforce the law. So the president sat down with the attorney general, Loretta Lynch. She is the top lawyer for the federal government. They sat down to consider what steps the executive branch could take without congressional legislation. Uh, These are steps that would be within the president's power to reduce gun violence. This is not the first time the president has taken these kinds of executive actions on guns. In 2013, after Congress failed to pass gun legislation following Sandy Hook, as I just mentioned, the president signed several executive actions that generally tightened the background check system. Um, Now, there are risks to acting in this matter without congressional approval. 
Critics have already suggested that they are going to challenge these new executive actions in court. Not getting legislation on the books also means that a future president, who's a Republican, presumably, could unilaterally reverse the president's actions. In addition, congressional Republicans are now threatening to block funding for the Justice Department in order to stop the enforcement of these actions. Uh, So let me tell you what these actions actually do. The federal government is going to issue guidance that will narrow who can sell guns without a federal license. This is going to be based on an evaluation of the circumstances surrounding each individual gun sale. The idea is to actually make the enforcement of existing federal laws stricter so that people, whether they're gun sellers or gun buyers, can't take advantage of the so-called quote-unquote gun show loophole. So when... Republicans are constantly saying the president should enforce the laws on the books. He should enforce the laws. He shouldn't make new laws through executive action. Well, these executive actions are exactly just doing that. They're making it more clear about how they're going to enforce the laws that are already on the books. Uh, So how they're going to do this. The FBI is going to hire more than 230 people to help run background checks. That's an increase of more than 50 percent of their current staff. The government is going to require background checks for people who try and buy restricted firearms through illegal entities such as a corporation or trust. What that means is if Selena and I want to get together and we want to form Alyssa and Selena LLC, or let's just call it Buy Our Guns LLC, and then we want to use this corporation or this company to purchase guns instead of us, because maybe one of us couldn't pass the background check, but the corporation is now the person and the corporation can pass a background check because the corporation has nothing to check. So people use that as a way to get around this background check issue, uh, which so that has allowed people to avoid background checks. Uh, The Department of Health and Human Services is going to finalize a rule regarding health and privacy record laws to remove barriers to states to providing mental health records to the background check system to make sure that people who have uh, severe mental health issues cannot buy firearms. Uh, The administration is going to enforce tighter rules for reporting when guns are lost or stolen. This makes it easier for uh, law enforcement to track down missing firearms. Federal agencies will encourage and fund more research into technologies that makes guns safer. Uh, That's such as smart guns that can only fire by the person whose fingerprint matches the gun uh, and other technologies along those lines. In addition to these measures, the administration is going to continue to try and push Congress to pass tighter gun control measures. Not going to happen. And to direct more funds to enforce existing gun laws and mental health treatment. Uh, So. Here's another question. Is the president really closing the quote-unquote gun show loophole? Well, these changes will tighten what's known as the quote-unquote gun show loophole, uh, and they will increase the efficiency of federal background check system, but the short answer is no. These will not close this so-called loophole. Uh, The long version of it is that this gun show loophole is actually really a misleading name. The better way to describe this is the private sales loophole. For example, if someone purchases a gun from a private seller, such as a collector or a friend or a family member, no background check is required. Uh, This well- known loophole is called the gun show loophole because it's these types of private sales are found at gun shows. Uh, A lot of times licensed dealers at gun shows still have to carry out. Well, I'm sorry. All licensed dealers at gun shows have to carry around background checks, but someone can actually meet with a private seller at a gun show or over the internet and they can buy a firearm from that person directly without a background check. So what a private sale person will do is this person who says, I'm not a firearms dealer. I just sell a few firearms. I don't need to get a license. Um, They go to these gun shows, and now they can make a sale to you without a background check because that's considered a private sale from a private seller. The 
Obama's executive actions will narrow this loophole by limiting who can sell these guns without a federal license. It will require more background checks on sales, and it will warn people who sell guns the risk of trying to use private sale loopholes to avoid carrying out a background check. So if you're a federal executive, uh, federal gun, I'm sorry, if you're a gun seller and you try and say, oh, I'm just a private seller, I'm just a private seller, the government's going to come down on you hard. The White House's primary interest is to go after the for-profit dealers who are taking advantage of this loophole by using the quote-unquote private sale thing when they're actually engaged in the business of selling guns. So final points. The goal of these executive orders is to make enforcement of existing federal laws, uh, whether gun buyers or gun sellers, stricter so that fewer people can take advantage of this loophole. So the president is not coming for your guns. In fact, not only is he not coming for your guns, these executive actions can't even close this loophole altogether because it's actually written into law and it would take congressional action to close it. Uh, it's ironic, as I said, because people are constantly like, enforce the laws on the books. And that's exactly what these executive orders do. And uh, these executive orders are certainly the biggest action the president has taken on guns. But at the end of the day, they won't end up to very huge changes in our gun laws because the president can't do much without Congress. So I can take my guns out of my refrigerator? I mean, I don't have my guns sitting there, Obama. No, I, I, you know what? Thank you for doing a great job and just breaking it down, Alyssa, and just telling old conspiracy theorists that, no, Obama doesn't want your guns. Not only that, there's no way possible that he could seize millions and millions of guns from legal gun owners. Black people have superpowers. He'll only be here for a couple more months. It's 2016. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. You know, it's I mean, ridiculous to even think that. If you watch but, the town hall, I mean, one of the things he said yes. was, when do I have time to take your guns? He doesn't have the time. But you know what? People are still going to think... This and it's just it's just stupid at this point. But you know what? We're going to have to take, well, a week long break. <laughs> We're not going to be here for the next couple of days, but we will be here next Sunday. God willing. So thank you so much for tuning in, calling in, tweeting us and sharing your comments with us. This has been Let Your Voice Be Heard. And make sure you subscribe to our iTunes channel at LYVBH Radio. See you next week. Oh, by the way, Ashcast is up next. This song is dedicated to Congress. Uh-huh. With you, you little stupid and wow. can't with you. You little, you little dumb and wow. can't with you. I got a million trillion things.